Ethan, why uh, why are you covering your eyes? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a prediction here. This better not be like the time you claimed to predict what I was going to say. I have free will, gosh darn you. No, 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 no. I see... I mean, I don't see my eyes are closed, but I predict that you're <laughs> wearing a green shirt. Hey, would you look at that? I am wearing a green shirt. Many applause to you, my prophesying friend. Perfect. So, we both agree once again that not only can I predict the future, but I've demonstrated it so. That is a Ridiculous leap in logic, and you know it. If I continue to predict things before they happen, I think that makes me a proven clairvoyant. Clairvoyant? I don't know. I'll keep it up today. By the end of the episode, you can tell me if you'd consider me a true precognitive or merely a charlatan. You know, I kind of always think you're a charlatan, but challenge accepted. I'm guessing all this hullabaloo has something to do with our episode for today. You would bet right. Today, treat for all of you, we've got an early 2000s movie that everybody remembers the premise of way better than they actually remember the movie itself. (laughs) Minority Report. Is that like anti-cognition? Like actively forgetting stuff from action movies that feel predictable? Ah, boom, roasted that movie. But no, (laughs) no, it it wasn't that bad. I I would venture to say it was good. Maybe. That feels like another fun thing to debate this episode. But theme song first? Theme song first. Hit it. Don't be Aristotle by your Plato knowledge, cause we got our game I like. Will Vinny Vitty Vici and Mustachio Nietzsche, and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome, he's heathen, and this is our podcast show. Welcome back to the Wholesome and Heathen Show where we take concepts from philosophy and make those difficult ideas easily digestible through the lens of pop culture. And you've caught us today on our season finale, and we've decided to end on a doozy. I think it's only fitting that we started the season on an early 2000s action film based on famous philosophy works, and that we end on an early 2000s action film based on famous philosophy works. Oh man, I just love The Matrix. Uh, and I knew you'd do that episode twice if you could, so I found the next best thing. Yeah, there's no such thing that's quite there, but thanks for trying, buddy. <laughs> ah, shucks. Anywho, I watched the movie. A lot of Tom Cruise in this one. He runs once or twice, yep. <laughs> I think I've got a vibe for what this episode is going to be about, but you want to preview the concepts before we jump into an episode description? Sure. Today, we're kicking it with the classic free will versus determinism. We've covered these topics a few times before, um, specifically in Season 1, Episode 5, and we touched on it a tad with our Halloween Donnie Darko special. Great episodes, both. So, what makes this episode any different? Okay, so for one, this movie handles the question much more directly than any other media we've discussed. And it's much, much more direct than Donnie Darko and less, I guess, tangential. Beautiful callback. Thank you for that. That's all the justification I need to move us on to the movie synopsis. This movie stars Tom Cruise as John Anderton, a cop with the pre-crime unit of Washington, D.C. in the year 2054. You know, I feel like 2054 is coming a lot sooner than uh, this makes it sound, but... (laughs) 
that one <laughs> sentence already has so much beautiful nonsense, and it's only going to get weirder. <laughs> True that. Tom Cruise is tasked with interpreting clairvoyant visions from a triplet of precogs, as they're called. These three weirdos in a tub spit out visions of murder to happen, and Tom Cruise looks for clues in those murders. Tom Tom Clues? Tom (laughs) Clues looks for clues in those murders to try and stop them before they happen. This premise is kind of absurd, but it works, and and I'm into it. Maybe I even love it. You get (laughs) Sherlock Holmes-like mystery solving and a ticking clock that isn't about the next murder like most movies or shows, but rather the first murder hasn't even happened. There's lots of little cool details I love, too, that really sell this future world. And uh, when Tom Cruise is looking at the future crime images, he himself is being watched by auditors to verify that he's doing the work properly. And because premeditated murder can be predicted faster and easier by the triplets than something like, say, murders of passion, people have stopped plotting murders. So... That's kind of cool and neat in itself, but Tom Cruise and these weird slime bath triplets basically only predict and focus on murders of passion, which is why that ticking clock is so short. Yeah, since anyone dumb enough to plan a murder is going to get caught, and quick. Some good world building there. Long story short, Tom Cruise's character sees himself as the murderer in a vision and finds out he's expected to commit a murder in about... Uh, 36 hours. He doesn't know the man he's expected to kill or why he would kill anybody at all, so he escapes on a mission to prove his innocence. Along the way, hijinks ensue, run scenes, midair jetpack battles, the huge. <laughs> Since everyone is ID'd by computer systems through, what is it, like iris recognition, AI recognition software, Tom Cruise needs to get his eyes switched out and replaced with, you know, Someone else's eyes. The huge. I love how all the ads are personalized as you walk by them and they call out your name. We're really not too far from that at all. Wait, you love that or hate that? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure my Facebook auto-generates t-shirts to sell to me that are like, guy who likes orange juice and philosophy are the coolest. Whoa, whoa, but my shirt ads say guys who slam shots and cry themselves to sleep over existential angst are the coolest. What? What? Gonna come back to that with a therapist later, but moving on. (laughs) Tom Cruise switches out his baby blues for some beautiful browns, uses some nerve pacifying agent to make his facial muscles droop so he's unrecognizable, and sneaks into a facility to steal one of three precogs known for being the best precog. And that right there is the, like, the crux of the movie. The female precog, Agatha, sometimes sees visions of the future that are ever so slightly different than the two male precogs. And when one of her visions don't match up, these are typically ignored and categorized elsewhere as a minority report. Tom Cruise wants to go direct to Agatha because he assumes she has a minority report where he's, you know, not the killer. He kidnaps her, as all heroes do, and tries to learn Mm. more about the supposed future murder. Through additional shenanigans, they end up at the hotel where the murder is supposed to take place and find the man to be murdered is up in one of the rooms. Tom Cruise goes up to the man's room to figure out what's going on and finds photos of many missing children, including his own. Something we didn't mention was that Tom Cruise's son had been kidnapped about six years ago, I think, and was, I mean, after that long, presumed dead. So seeing a photo of his child here... Tom Cruise now understands fully why he would murder this guy he thought was a rando. And 
Can't say I blame him, really. However, Agatha convinces him he has a choice, and even after the timer goes off, Tom Cruise still hasn't shot the guy. This leads to an exchange where we found out the guy expected to die so that that guy's family could get insurance money, and that he actually had nothing to do with the kidnapped son. It's a conspiracy! Well, that threw me off this time, too. I've watched this before, but even then, I'd forgotten that it was all a conspiracy. It always is. And even then, after the dialogue, the guy gets Tom to accidentally shoot him, leading to basically what was predicted. Interesting to note, Tom doesn't find any of that out in the original timeline where he shoots the guy immediately. So, anyway, more shenanigans ensue, Dream Halo Prison, you know, the huge. And we find out <laughs> Tom Cruise's boss orchestrated the whole thing. Flash forward, Tom Cruise confronts his boss at a public gala. The boss has been predicted by the triplets to kill Tom Cruise here. Tom Cruise gives him a dramatic speech about changing destiny, and the boss shoots himself instead of Tom. The triplets get to go live in a small cabin in Maine, Tom Cruise gets back with his ex-wife, the pre-crime division shuts down, and I guess that's happily ever after except for maybe a raising premeditated murder rate since that's back on the table now. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, I don't think we thought that one through, but yeah, <laughs> lots to unpack here, lots to unpack. And that is a hyper-condensed description of the movie. I didn't mention, like, 18 different subplots all happening in the background. Shenanigans? 18 subplots, and way more than 18 shenanigans. Absolutely <laughs> obscene how much information we're supposed to take in with that film. Well then, it's time to start breaking down this into the core of what we're discussing today. Determinism versus free will. If I remember correctly... You think free will is doo-doo city, and hard determinism to be one of the world's most fundamental truths. Doo-doo city is correct, but the other one I would say is a bit of an oversimplification, but close <laughs> enough. <laughs> Do you remember those concepts enough to give our beautiful listeners a quick review? Quit hitting on the listeners, but sure! Free will is the thing you know it is. We are responsible for our choices and the repercussions for those choices. Nothing is guiding us, and stuff just kind of rocks and rolls however it does. Determinism is that things are predetermined. Things are always going to happen the way they end up happening. Kind of like fate. Fate is an overly dramatic word and not at all what I'd call it. <laughs> it's more like every action is the effect of an earlier cause. And those causes are themselves the effects of even earlier causes on and on and on. So all our actions are inevitable because they're effects of causes and not freely determined. That's what I'd call it. But yeah, that's a, that's a good jumping off point to get into our discussion. Perfect. What you got for us? Crime. Pre-crime. Nope. Just crime. Your vagueness is criminal. Explain yourself. Ah, okay. Okay. Not a bad pun. I'll let that one pass. <laughs> well, I'd like to start with the most direct real-world example I can think of and examine the stance that the government takes. And that example is just... Plain old crime. What does that have to do with fate? Crime happens, you go to jail. Bada bing, bada boom. Right, exactly. But was that crime fated or determined? And if it was, why can you go to jail for it? Because... Because you, you did a crime, right? Crime, so jail. But then we're punishing that person for something they literally had no control over. They were always fated to do it, if you want to call it fate. And if so... Well, that seems pretty unfair. Not justicey at all. Yeah, but but they're but they're only fated to go to jail because we were fated to create jail systems that were 
created in response to previously faded crime to stop more crime from being faded. Oh, no. I'm in a rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. No, holy moly. Okay. Fate and Destiny are such go-to movie ideas, but once you just barely start dissecting the implications, it gets real confusing real quick. I did not intend for you to go into a mental death spiral... At least not yet, but I'm glad you did. You sadistic monster. Oh, your tears are my fuel. <laughs> but but for real, destiny and fate seem hunky-dory when you're on a mission to stop a dragon and you need to fulfill the prophecy. But the legal ramifications are crippling to virtually any system of justice. So what would the legal defense be? An act of God? Not quite. That's that's usually reserved for natural disasters. Although, because us humans occasionally bold to the point of shamelessness, there have been multiple lawsuits against God. I don't know if you're aware. Pardon me? What now? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you asked. I actually looked this up beforehand. Um, yeah, so some lady in the 1970s sued God for, I think it was like 10 Gs, after a lightning bolt struck her house. <laughs> and... Wait, 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 it gets better. She won by default since God, unsurprisingly, didn't show up in court. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm assuming God didn't pay out. <laughs> you know, it'd be great if she, like, won the lottery later that week. <laughs> but Sorry, I couldn't show. <laughs> <laughs> even better, there was, there was another similar court case just in 2008. And at first, <laughs> at first, they were like, Sorry, you can't sue God because he doesn't have a fixed address, so he can't be served. But <laughs> then, <laughs> I love this, but then the lawyer argued that if God is omniscient and omnipresent, he's already well aware of the court battle. So they actually let it proceed. <laughs> if there's one thing I love, it's structured, rigid, and serious bureaucracy being used for ridiculous nonsense. Oh, yeah, you gotta love it. But that all brings me back to the idea of if something is fated or determined, it greatly messes with the core tenets of our legal system. A similar idea is that of the idle argument. That sounds like an argument about doing nothing. Yeah, not too far off. The idle argument is that if something is fated to happen, actively doing something is just as effective as doing nothing in bringing that event about. Uh, sounds a little confusing. Uh, give me an example, kind sir. Sure thing, kind sir. Classic example. <laughs> <laughs> say, <laughs> say you get sick, and then through some mean method, whatever, you figure out you know you're fated to survive. By that logic, then, whether you do or don't go to the doctor doesn't matter, since fate says that either way you survive. Oh, jeez, that is toying with fate. That's... Just kind of like noticing the loopholes in the rules, you know? That's pretty much no different than what lawyers do. And do you think lawyers are unethical? Don't most people? Yeah, okay. Never mind. Take the back. I, <laughs> what's the, what's lawyer for, lawyer term? I redact, I don't know. <laughs> for ya. Obstruction, not obstruction. Objection. Objection. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> I'm setting myself up for failure here. Okay. Uh, it's also comparable. <laughs> here's another one. Also comparable to the story of uh, running away from death. So some guy in the mythological times is told he's going to die in a week. And like most of us who aren't Zoomers, he didn't want to die. So he left town. 
he packed his things or didn't. I don't know. That's not important for the story. He just ran away. Away, away. He went thousands of miles away from where he lived to avoid death. And then he saw death in a random town. And death was like, huh, what are you doing here? (laughs) So in trying to escape his fate, he ran headfirst into his fate. Exactly, exactly. So the idol argument comes from uh, the Roman statesman Cicero. Technically Cicero if you're speaking Latin, but you're not, so... (laughs) Cicero. Shut up, Latin nerds. (laughs) Go away, don't listen. (laughs) So yeah, what was that? So question from me, was he a lawyer? Yeah, 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 he was a lawyer. (laughs) Bam, score one point for wholesome lawyers love loopholes. Hey, 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 I never said I agree with the idle argument. I'm just presenting an argument. In fact, my boy Aristotle predicted that argument, and another philosopher, Stoic, actually, Chrysippus, threw down with the concept. Chrysippus argued that even if this person was fated to recover, their visit to the doctor would need to be equally as fated to happen, and thus these events would be co-fated you know okay wow all right so destiny is way more confusing than my childhood brain and wait hang on hang on before you go on i want to tell you a completely unrelated story about chrysippus sure hit me it's not important at all but chrysippus died from laughing he laughed to death and yes (laughs) this is true it happened and i know your next question is what happened what was so funny (laughs) 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 this is this is amazing so he saw a donkey eating figs which i'm not entirely even sure what a fig is but he saw a donkey (laughs) eating figs and he thought it was so hilarious that he died what no no the story he (laughs) he saw a donkey eating figs that he didn't die he made a joke about it and then he died laughing at his own joke (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a life well lived. I think we just saw your fate for how you go. I'm pretty sure oh, that's, man. that's end game for you, man. I would be so happy. Just crack yourself <laughs> up and die because you're so funny. <laughs> you're just hanging out with your bros and you're like, is he playing or is he... Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. One can only hope. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Anyways, heading back to this. What I'm discovering from this and from your potential fate by death by laughter, Destiny is way more confusing than my childhood brain understood it watching Star Wars. All of these things are just hypotheticals. I mean, you're free to keep saying fate or destiny, but I just want to clarify that determinism isn't saying that some deity is pulling the string, which is usually what I think of with fate, destiny, but with that clarified, yeah, go on. I'm pretty scared of what this means when we actually approach our film of the day. That movie doesn't touch on the legality and ethics of fate as a possibility, but as a reality. Right, which is fascinating and makes this film such a joy to watch. You can you can see the detail they've put into the world they've created and the long-term effect on society that exists when people can be arrested for crimes that they have yet to commit. Sweet, so let's dive into that. My first question or thought was kind of the core concept of the movie how can you arrest people for crimes they haven't yet done fantastic question and they addressed that pretty well at the beginning of the film they condense a lot of that debate into a one minute scene or so 
Here it is. I'm sure you all understand the legalistic drawback to pre-crime methodology. Here we go again. Look, I'm not with the ACLU on this, Jeff. But let's not kid ourselves. We are arresting individuals who have broken no law. But they will. The commission of the crime itself is absolute metaphysics. The pre-con see the future, and they're never wrong. But it's not the future if you stop it. Isn't that a fundamental paradox? Yes, it is. You're talking about predetermination, which happens all the time. Why'd you catch that? Because it was going to fall. You're certain? Yeah. But it didn't fall. You caught it. The fact that you prevented it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. You ever get any false positives? Someone intends to kill his boss or his wife, but they never go through with it. How do the precogs tell the difference? Precogs have to see what you intend to do. Only what you will do. Right, right. I, I remember that. And that's a pretty good argument Tom Cruise makes there. But I guess my issue is they later kind of contradict that point with both how the movie plays out and I'm pretty sure there's a line where they specify that all the precognitive triplets are doing is pattern recognition. In a way, they give us hope. Hope of the existence of the divine. I find it interesting that some people have begun to deify the precogs. Precogs are pattern recognition filters, that's all. Yet you call this room the temple. Just a nickname. Wow, okay. So... So there's a lot of philosophy, a lot of philosophical ideas going on here, and they sometimes contradict themselves for, uh... Okay, so for instance, if the triplets see everything as it's going to happen, and then that action is stopped before it happens, was that stoppage and their predetermination of it ever truly going to happen? I don't know if that made sense, but clearly... Some murders must have been allowed to be committed in the earlier days of the program to test its viability. So if the murders are stopped, were they predestined to be stopped? Are the triplets actually changing destiny? Or are they just part of the steps that help actualize destiny? It all, I mean, it all just starts to turn over and over in your head and makes your brain mess with itself a little bit. Holy moly. Yeah, no, this is like trying to comprehend infinity. My brain is going on the fritz trying to think about it. And even if we're just talking about the practical application of these laws instead of the philosophical quandaries, my girlfriend brought up a great point. If you know someone gets arrested when they're going to commit a murder, but that pre-crime will always stop them, you can kind of game the system. How so there? Kind of like in the opening example in the movie, the man tries to murder his wife and her lover for their affair. But what if the wife was in an unhappy marriage and knew an easy way out was to keep pushing and pushing her husband until he was compelled to murder her? She can slice some tires, have glaring affairs, pour his mother's ashes in his morning coffee and laugh about it. Normal over the edge kind of stuff. (laughs) That's horrifying. Are you secretly a non-wholesome monster? No, of course not. But to know what's good, I need to know what's bad. And ashes used as coffee creamer just seem pretty bad. Hmm. Subdued sociopathic tendencies aside, that is uh, another fantastic point. And something I, I don't think the movie actually addressed is what she's doing just another stitch in the, say, tarp of fate? Or is she taking advantage of a system that isn't as predestined as it appears to be? And using it to morph destiny to her will and get rid of dear old hubby. This is all too twisty. I need philosophy to come to the rescue. Please tell me there's some kind of answer here. Actually, there is. Chuck, I am aghast. 
I feel like those are things that are written in comics and not supposed to be said out loud. But you're a spaz. <laughs> it's cool. Let's think. Let's think back to our old season one episodes. We talked about three main schools of thought on how destiny and fate work. You mentioned two of these ideas, right? Uh, right. Yeah. There was free will and hard determinism. Yeah. And the existence of a hard determinism implies a... Easy determinism. Soft. Hey, it's been harder to work out during COVID. The gyms are closed and push-ups only do so much. I mean, you are soft, but I meant soft <sighs> determinism. Oh! <laughs> shot through the heart! I feel like it was like a self-shot. You shoot your... Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> soft determinism uh, is also called compatibilism. You might remember that one. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, snap. I do remember. Yeah, compatibilism. That... Help draw me out of my depressive funk you put me in after a discussion on fate in episode 5. Exactly, exactly, as it's wont to do. But as a refresher, compatibilism differs from hard determinism in that it puts more more of the onus on our internal decision-making process as, be, like, that is free will. Whereas mm. hard determinists say, hey, it's all brain chemistry. <laughs> Compatibilists are like, cool and you're kind of in control of that brain chemistry to some extent and that's what makes it free will i dig that so much golly gosh <laughs> how can we know for sure that's the angle this movie takes though um let's let's take a look at how the movie plays out for most of the film the precognitions are seen as things that happen unless intervention is taken i.e a murder is specifically faded but it can be stopped by external forces. So right off the bat, it's destined to happen, but only in a very loose way. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, right. So so the premise automatically implies things aren't set in stone. But what if it's like you said earlier, that they're basically just pawns of fate in their existence and how we handle it all is fated to begin with, like from the start? Yeah, you're keeping up. That is a very likely possibility. That brings us to a follow-up observation. Let's look at Tom Cruise's situation. The Tom Cruise sees himself murder a dude, but he can't imagine why he'd do that and he never knew him thing? Yeah, that thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tom Cruise <laughs> ends up in that situation, and the precognitive woman he took with him, Agatha, tells him herself that the future isn't set in stone, that he has a choice. <laughs> You said so yourself. There is no minority report. I don't have an alternate future. I am going to kill this man. You still have a choice. The others never saw that future. You still have a choice. So that leaves us with two options. Either A... Agatha is manipulating her capabilities to get the outcome she wants by showing Tom Cruise what could happen. Or option B, she's telling the truth and the future can be changed. So clearly it's the second First one. one. Right. No, 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 no. Hey, now, Agatha is a good gal. She wouldn't do <laughs> Cruise dirty like that. Wouldn't she, though? She's been stuck in a pool. I think it's kind of slimy her entire life with her... Other two precogs hopped up on some drugs and living nightmares of murder day in and day out as her profession. She has no other options. That she hadn't done it sooner is honestly more shocking. 
No, 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 no. If that was the case, Tom Cruise wouldn't have been able to change the future like he did. They, they see the future. She can't make it up. But that future only happens because Tom Cruise knows it happens. If Tom doesn't know, Tom doesn't go. But if Agatha says Tom kills, and without any external factors outside of what was already shown in the vision, then Tom wills, wills, kills, will, will kill. Okay, your <laughs> rhyme is better, but my point still stands. Okay, 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 okay. Here's what we can agree on. The film is deterministic. I'm going to give the option here to think it's soft deterministic or that it follows compatibilism. But I'm going to keep thinking it's hard determinism, though, because I like being right. I would like to point out that Tom hesitating killing that random dude and the boss's choice to kill himself rather than Tom at the end show that the hardness of that determinism goes out of whack. But, you know, think what you will. And I know better than to trust the predictions of three people held against their will for their entire lifetimes, and that they probably game the system, but do your thing. Folks, it's not often we come to a complete stoppage, but it seems we're both fairly unrelenting in our viewpoints at this time. I think I always disagree with you. Isn't that why we made this show? Now, let's just say this makes for a great showing of the breadth of philosophy and how no one answer is correct. Mine is. So is mine. Shut up. <laughs> but he's right. This is a great example. But as you can see, we still respect each other's opinions, even when his is wrong. And I still respect him, even when he's completely out of his depth. How's about we dig into some other interesting stuff about this film or topic? That sounds like a good move. But I'd like to take this opportunity to compare this whole piece to something the audience might be a little bit more familiar with. The Oedipus story. It is next level rude to accuse our audience of having an Oedipus complex. No, not the complex. The story. The story, man! <laughs> oh, sweet. I, I can walk them through that. Though I can't exactly know that they don't have the complex itself. Ignoring you, that is super creepy. Greek myths are like old-timey sci-fi. Check this out. Greek King Laos. Laos? Laos? I can never say it right. I'm gonna go with Laos. Greek King Laos has a son. Like the good parents in Gattaca, he wants to know what to expect in his kid's life. To his chagrin, he finds out his child is going to kill him. He's all, nope, that won't do. I should kill this kid. Like a real man, he orders his wife to do it instead and bounces out. <laughs> it's like, ew, killing kids is gross. You do it, honey. I'm going to go have a brewski with the boys. Deuces. <laughs> no, no responsibility with this one. Uh, I forgot about that part of the story. That's... Horrible. Yeah, definitely don't feel too bad about what's coming his way. No surprise here, mom can't kill Oedipus, so she hands the task to a servant who puts Oedipus on a mountaintop. She couldn't do it either. He's rescued, grows up, the whole shebang. Then he encounters an entirely different oracle who tells Oedipus that he's going to kill his father, which, you know, it's old news. We kind of already knew that. And that he's going to, um, he's going to do the, uh, he's going to do the thing with the, um. Uh, it's sex. You can, you can say sex. Say it with me. <laughs> You're an adult. He's gonna have sex with his mother. We all know, we all know, that's where the complex comes from. It's an adult word. Cut me some slack. I'm showing some class here, man. Anyways, Oedipus thinks his adopted dad and mom are his real parents, and he's like, don't want to kill or sleep with them. Deuces. And he sets sail for Thebes. Both say deuces. Like father, like son. I see it. But uh, Thebes is where his biological parents are? Thebes is where his biological parents are. On the way, Oedipus encounters an old dude on a chariot. 
Old dude gets mad at him for some reason, tries to hit him with a scepter, then Oedipus grabs the scepter, throws the old dude off, it kills him. And old dude was his dad, Laius? Old dude was his dad, Laius. Bam. Now he's king of Thebes, and then there's this queen lady there that is now his bride because of old-timey politics. We don't have to dig into the reasoning, just take my word for it. Not a valid form of learning, but okay. That's his mom? (laughs) Yep, that's his mom. The rest is a tale as old as time. Oedipus asks around finds out he was the lost son of the king and that he's sleeping with his mom. Classic. His mom finds out and hangs herself, and Oedipus shoves her dress pins into his eyes to blind himself forever while a choir of Greeks sing an endless refrain that no man should be considered fortunate until they are dead. Wow. I knew the general gist, but that went even darker than I remembered. Thank you. I think. (laughs) You're welcome. I know. (laughs) Okay. I just wanted to bring that up because it's probably a more familiar example of the same idea of determinism. This event was only fated to happen because someone pointed out that it was fated to happen. You know? Hmm. If Daddy King Laius had never gone to the Oracle to begin with, none of this would have happened and there'd been, there would have been a lot less parasite and accidental incest. That reminds me of your own favorite Oracle from The Matrix and her line about the vase. Oh, yes! When the Oracle in the Matrix tells Neo not to worry about the vase, he says, What vase? And then accidentally bumps into it while looking around and knocks it over. But then... So, like, that alone is like, ooh, (laughs) what came first? But then she says, What'll really cook your noodle later is if you would've still knocked it over if I hadn't said anything. Another score for your beloved Matrix. They just can't stand being about one philosophy thing. They gotta do them all. Movies just like the Pokemon trainer of philosophy concepts, yeah. But <laughs> stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it applies absolutely. So great, we've got a lot of examples of the questions about fate and destiny, but still not a lot to go on about with free will. Or well, actually, you got something? I think I did. In fact, I think this movie is a major proponent of free will, and I'll show you. Oh man, here we go again with you digging yourself into a wrongness hole. Nah, nah, this is cool. And it's because of one screwy line we already mentioned. These precogs are just probability machines. Well, there's a little more complex stuff to that, but they're seeing the visions as they would happen, which is a certain level of detail that would be unavailable to any future processing machine. Well, except for them. This is my realm. This is superpowers and stuff. Okay, okay. Here's the irony of the whole thing, is that if it's hard determinism or free will, it depends on the same idea, that Agatha was gaming the system. So this is actually a way to get us to agree. I hate where this is going on so many levels. Agatha and the precogs can only predict the future because of what's basically summarized as intense pattern recognition. That people have patterns of behavior is an unshakable truth. But that alone doesn't necessitate that we are absent of free will. It's just a fun little wrinkle. It's a pretty good argument for determinism so far, I'd say. Behavior is predetermined, and she was taking advantage of those behaviors she knew would happen by showing him the images that would get him there. On the contrary, she was explicitly taking advantage of his free will. That still sounds more like the soft determinism or compatibilism angle. If you have all the environmental data on a coin flip or dice roll or whatever, where it starts, where it's landing, atmospheric conditions, force pushed, you, you can, if you have all of that, you can theoretically predict how it's going to land. Cool, great. Yeah, th- this is true. Uh, 
So what about a computer system with a random number generator? That, that's not affected by atmospheric conditions or any other jazz unless you've royally screwed up your computer. There would be no consistent or accurate way to predict how those numbers are going to land. Maybe on previous predictions you can make a solid guess, but the outcome is going to change because the very nature of it is random. And if there's anything being a teenager in the mid-2000s taught me, it's that humans are random and that we use that word too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is one of our most dangerous legacies. Uh, yes, I do love that you brought that up. Um, first, uh, so random, but I still have to refute your example about random number generators because computers and machines are never random, even when they seem to be. Hmm. So a computer goes through an algorithm to to generate a number that looks like it's random, but actually it can be 100% accurately predicted by working backwards because it's following some algorithm. Hmm. And you can actually set the seed, it's called, when you're asking it to generate a random number. So that still goes in my box. There is no free will. Cool, I see what you're saying. I'm just going to let my brain continue to go down this train, though. If you had a truly random number generator that could generate numbers from zero to infinity, it would be impossible to predict how that's going to end. Yeah, but humans don't have infinitely possible choices, and there's no truly random number generator. That still just feels like determinism to me. I'd argue that it's just generally effective guesswork on where free will will take people, but that it's still free will. And I think you're crazy and that it looks like we've found another spot where we can agree, maybe? But definitely disagree. <laughs> as we should, as everyone should. We should always be striving to have civil debates with those around us to expand our worldviews. I may not be a hard determinist, but I can only make that distinction for myself by understanding that point of view from someone who knows more about it. Then we can expand our own personal philosophies, understand why we believe what we believe. If we hold firm to our beliefs without closely examining them, we risk finding ourselves stuck in echo chambers where what we hear is only what we want to hear and what we end up saying. Hmm. So when I listen to this guy spout nonsense about free will... And I hear him act all cool and think determinism is actually somehow the way things are. <laughs> <laughs> we get to accept other views contrary to our own and grow our own beliefs. And sometimes, maybe, just maybe, even change them. Nothing healthier than being willing to change your views over time. Didn't mean to get us on a preachy tangent, but this idea of philosophical ideas helping us understand the world around us is pretty much like the core philosophy of our show. So, you know, gotta give that a shout out every now and then. And now, we have to end on some mildly tragic news. Oh no. Yep, yep, don't oh no me. It's your fault. <laughs> Wholesome here is going off to do some some nonsense for the next four to six months or so or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But that's going to leave me with a one less co-host than I normally have. <sighs> Wave your lighters, shed your tears. So dramatic, so dramatic. <laughs> but we won't have the capability to record our shows during this time, and that's going to leave us with a long gap before the next season. But... You can safely invest in Wholesome and Heathen. Like General Douglas MacArthur said, we shall return. Or the Terminator. I'll be back. <laughs> but I do apologize. If we find the time, I'd love to do an interim episode here or there, but I really can't make any promises. With all that in mind, you can expect us back sometime in the fall. Probably around the October range, hopefully. 
I make no such guarantees, but I'll say a vague in the future. It's a long wait. I know. I know. I know. You don't have to tell me. It's a long wait to be without our soothing chords, <laughs> but you can survive, dear listeners. It's predetermined that we will return. Oh, dang it. You knew I'd have to agree with that. You're a smooth operator. <laughs> Notoriously. Listeners, keep on questioning. We'll see you soon. Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse getting three of your friends who make the best predictions during March Madness and shaving them from top to bottom before placing them inside a vat of liquid. They further do not endorse feeding them drugs intravenously for the rest of their adult lives in hopes of stopping crime with advanced 2054 technology. If you want to just kidnap Heathen and shove them in a tube for a while, Wholesome is pretty down with that. We've got a few months of Wiggle Room here to see if it works. Send the Excel sheet with the results of your experimentation on Heathen and whether or not you can predict the future to contact at wholesomeandheathen.com.